Bible with you. Turn to Mark 7. If you don't, there's actually one in the pew in front of you. Our method here is to trust God, God the Holy Spirit, who's the author uh, of this book uh, through human instruments. And I literally trust him week to week to provide the right food for us. And this is the day he has created. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And today we're looking at Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. I'm methodically working through this book of Mark. I'm tempted to give a tiny introduction. and It's not exactly probably related to the content, but this was written by a guy named John Mark. Remember, John Mark, he he was not a disciple of Jesus. He didn't even know Jesus uh, when Jesus was on the earth. Saved later on. He was a guy who had a mommy and a grandma that loved the Lord. They taught him. They homeschooled him, believe it or not, in the Holy Scriptures. And then when he heard the gospel, the Lord opened his heart and he received Christ as his Savior. And he was on fire for God. And he was with a, a couple of amazing apostles named Paul and Barnabas. And they had this idea given to them by the Holy Spirit to go out on a journey to preach in various towns. So they took, they said, we need to help him. You know, we need somebody to take care of all kinds of details. We're going to depend on this guy. He's going to be our right-hand man. And they took him out. John Mark. They said, you want to come? He said, absolutely. Fantastic. I'm going to write a prayer letter and send it out. Get people to pray for me. Maybe that part didn't happen. but uh, He had people praying for him and he went out. But you know what he found out there? It's hard. It's hard uh, out there ministering for the Lord because there's people, the minute you say the Lord Jesus Christ, you have opposition. And there's lots of opposition. They were being persecuted and chased and treated badly. And so he said, listen, this isn't for me. I, I'm sorry, i got to quit. And he went home. And Paul and Barnabas, being generous, wonderful men, uh, were uh, upset. Definitely. They they were depending on him. They invested a lot in this whole thing, and he went home. And and as it turns out, then, you know, zip ahead, it came time to make another trip. And Paul and Barnabas decided, well, we're going to take another trip uh, by God's grace and God's leading. We're going to go out and visit some of the same churches, go on some new ones. And Barnabas, uh, by the way, his name means uh, the son of comfort. Barnabas, uh, it's son of compassion. He was that, that kind of guy, like an open heart, you know. So he said, "Hey, you know, let's let's go and see if we can bring John Mark with us." And Paul was already clearly the leader. He's sort of the alpha in the group, and uh, he said, "No way. <laughs> We're not. It's the mission is too critical. We're not going to take somebody who ran from us, who quit. No way." So John Mark was, uh, in a sense, humiliated by this. Uh, we're filling in the gaps, using some frog DNA, which we're trying to say that uh, nothing bad will happen. <laughs> um, kidding, of course. But in other words, I am definitely filling in. I, I don't know how humiliated this was, how humiliating this was to John Mark, but I can imagine it might have been. But in the sovereignty of God, he didn't quit his walk with the Lord. 
And in fact, we know historically, he then became a super help for Peter, the apostle Peter. And uh, he's known from church history as being Peter's interpreter. He went with, with Peter, uh, worked with him in many missions, listened to the gospel, listened to his preaching, listened to the stories. Peter would go and preach, and he'd listen to the stories. And he'd probably translate them into a different language, perhaps. Uh, we don't know exactly. But, but so he was into the language, the words that Peter would use. So what we actually have here is John Mark, who wrote the gospel according to Peter. You don't want to overstress that, but that's definitely a reality. That so we have firsthand impressions of the events in Jesus' life through this beautiful means. And, and we definitely see that in this story today. There's unique information that's not found anywhere else right here in this story today. So allow me to read then the, the Bible the Word of God, starting at verse 31, going through 37 of, of Mark 7. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. Pause for a second. Geographically, uh, Tyre is in modern-day Lebanon. So is Sidon. Sidon is north of Tyre, further away from uh, Israel, from Galilee. And the Decapolis is primarily east, east side of the River Jordan, kind of northeast and even down into the middle, middle east side. In other words, it's in modern day Jordan to, to a great extent, um, the Decapolis. So Jesus uh, was in Tyre, had an amazing event there with a Syrophoenician woman. And then he went north to Sidon, furthest away he ever got from Israel. And then came back down through the region of the Decapolis. This is many weeks of travel, summed up in uh, a few words there. So now he's, he's in the region of the Decapolis. We don't know exactly where. It's a large region. Uh, but it's not far from the Sea of Galilee, for example. Galilee's right there. And the River Jordan. And they brought to him a man. This is verse 32. They brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. Because he was deaf. So Jesus takes his fingers and sticks them in his ears. Everybody look up at me. I'm doing a great thing up here, and you're not looking. Sorry. <laughs> he does this, right? You could have imagined I was doing that, but you weren't looking. <laughs> uh, anyway, so he, it's kind of weird. He never did that before, never did it again, but he did it in here. And he stick his fingers into his ears. And then after spitting, touched his tongue. I'm not going to illustrate this. <laughs> Jesus spits a few times. We have him spitting in public. What would Jesus do? He'd spit in public, apparently. Um, three times in the Bible. Two times it's to heal blind people. Remember one time he spat on the ground and made a little mud and spit it on the blind, as many on the blind guy's eyes. 
fascinated on blind, right? Another time he just plain spits and put that directly on the blind man's eye. But here he spits apparently on his fingers and takes his saliva and smears it into the guy's mouth. And you and I might find that, ooh, gross. <laughs> I can hear my, uh, my daughter saying, ooh, gross, because that is kind of gross, especially to us. Now, to our knowledge, he never did that before, and he never did it again. Okay? Interesting. These are details that Peter saw. Okay. Verse 34. And looking up to heaven, he sighed. Let's get this. <sighs> What's he sighing about? Well, I'm sure that he's sad that the man has been so disabled for so long. I don't know, but it's recorded that he sighed. And said to him, now here's a strange word, ephatha, ephatha, which is actually Aramaic. It's the language Jesus ordinarily spoke. And Mark is kind to us non-Aramaic speaking people. And he says, that is, be opened. Ephatha. Since I've already interrupted the reading a whole lot, I just wanted to make a really quick point here that I think is interesting. This ephatha, and it sounds like a weird word to us, but it's, it's known human language. You'll never find recorded in Holy Scripture ever babbling that was not a known human language. There's no, you know, South Dakota. Honestly, now I'm not trying to make fun of anybody, but, but the truth is, Every time the Bible speaks of speaking in a tongue, a tongue means a language. It's a known human language that in the Holy Scripture is commanded to be translated. You can't translate meaningless babble. So this might sound like meaningless babble to us, but it's not. It's actual known human language uh, in not Arabic, a much older language, Aramaic. If you ever have the privilege of meeting Assyrians, and many of them live in California, Central Valley has a whole bunch of Assyrians. They speak Aramaic still. They know this language. They speak the language of Jesus. But anyway, all that to say, he says this word, but it's not abracadabra. It's not mumbo jumbo. Okay? It's an actual known language word. The word of Jesus. Ephatha. That is, be opened. And he said this after he had left his finger on the ears, spit, put it on his tongue. And verse 35, and his ears were opened. His tongue was released. And he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. I laugh because he done this several times in this gospel and it's never worked. You know? Charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. That's the word preach. Keruso. It means to preach. To proclaim it. Verse 37. And they were astonished beyond measure. 
saying, you have done all things well. Maybe even takes the death hair and the Mute, speak. Oh, often so they rhyme. Mute, speak. Let's pray. Father, in your kindness and grace, and through your great sovereign will, teach us to worship this great name from this passage of holy scripture. We commit this time to you. We thank you for it. We've come this far by grace, leaning on your word, and we trust you to lead us. this kind of interesting story of Jesus uh, taking this man aside. And the, I, I start studying this, reading it over and over, and I, I literally come to this simple question of why the six steps? Why, Lord? Uh, I'm curious. Peter records these six steps for us. <coughs> if you look in, look in Matthew, And it's Matthew chapter 15, okay? Matthew chapter 15, we have the same flow of history, the same account, okay? But because we have the Syrophoenician woman up, uh, up above, and then we have Jesus traveling back, and then we have the feeding of the 4,000, which is going to be coming in the next text, Lord willing, in Mark 8. But this is the way Jesus is recorded in, in Matthew. You hear the comparison, okay? Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went, went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. Okay, so how many people are healed in Matthew? It doesn't say, but it's lots and lots and lots of people. The same day, there's a whole massive crowd of people healed of all kinds of different maladies, correct? Lame, blind, crippled, mute, and many others, he says. And these people are laying them at the feet of Jesus, and he heals them. Verse 31, so that the crowd wondered. So we still have this idea of, of amazing response. They're amazed. The crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, <coughs> and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ, ye blind, behold, your Savior come and leap, ye lame, for joy. This is Jesus. This is unleashed power here. This is amazing. This is phenomenal. This is glory, hallelujah power, okay? Uh, and yet, notice what's missing. The whole thing with the spit and the fingers and, the, and the, all of this is missing out of Matthew. Mark records this one specific thing. And, and so, so it's okay to say, why? What, what's going on there? Uh, so 
this is kind of my take on, 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 on some of that. I say it's, it's the six-step method. <laughs> what, you say six steps? What do you mean six steps? Well, okay, this is what I mean uh, by the six steps. It says, uh, let's see, he takes them aside. Okay, so this is how to heal somebody. And let's just say that he was, this is, this is how he always heals somebody. This is his method. Takes them aside, puts fingers in ears, spit and touch the tongue. That's step number three. Step four is look up to heaven. Step five is sigh, and then say some mumbo jumbo. <laughs> Which is good. My point is, that's not mumbo jumbo. Okay, is that true? No. No, that's, I mean, yes, all of that happened, but this is a unique situation. It's a one-off event. Jesus can heal remotely. He doesn't even have to be in the same town to heal. Uh, but here he's chosen to do it this way. So I say, why, Lord? What is the point? Well, let me try to uh, push us toward what I think the point will be in the next just few minutes here. Why the six-step process? Is it to show that there is no set formula? I think absolutely yes. Uh, God doesn't work the same way every time. In fact, he almost never does. So we shouldn't be married uh, to some absolute set formula when we expect God to work or to be a blessing. I'm a, I, believe the, I believe the Bible, and I guess God. And uh, the Bible says that God created the earth. He did it in six days. He could have done it in one millisecond. <laughs> He's that powerful. But he decided to slowly go through six-step process. Okay, that's just coincidental, but kind of cool. <laughs> uh, six-step process. And out of that process comes, boom, an octopus. What about a pentacle? Is there a five-legged puss <laughs> out there? <laughs> you know, or a dodecahedron puss, the one with 12 legs. Why, Lord? No, well, he just wanted to make an octopus. <laughs> and, and if you're not a creationist, you got this problem because you can't find the the one with two legs, the one with three, the one with two and a half, the one with four and three quarters, as, as genetically, possibly, over a billion years, this organism through mainly negative accidents in its DNA comes up with eight legs! <laughs> I think, uh, just, I'm going to, you're a fisherman now, you, there aren't pentapuses, are there? No. <laughs> they, they actually are. <laughs> They're just not as well known. <laughs> okay, you got my point here, uh, and that is that God's not formulaic. So quit, quit trying to hold him to some formula. He's a free God who does, didn't our psalm say something about that? He does what he pleases. He's a free God. And I think this next point, some of this is put somewhat negatively, but not really. Is it to befuddle us and to knock us off our guard? I, 
I think there's, and again, maybe you don't like that language, but the Holy Word says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. We don't come to God dictating to him who he is and how he works. Some of the most rebellious language you'll, you'll hear a person say is, well, that's not my God. You know, my God would never do that. Or God had nothing to do with that because I told God who he is and what he is. I've created my own deity. No, your own deity is, is your creation. God has revealed himself. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. This is 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter, really? Peter, Peter. 1 Peter 5. That's verse 6, right? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. The next thing out of his mouth is casting all your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. Anxiety here is put in the context of lack of humility. You know why I'm so anxious? Because I don't trust God. You're all subject to this. And I'm not trying to make you squirm. My dear, dear wife had an anxiety attack about two, two to three a.m. the other day. We were laying in a bed in Chicago. And our, one of our sons had parked our van a block away from People's Park in Berkeley. He lives there. And she was coming as hard as the thieves because somebody's going to break into that van and steal everything we own. And we, we put a lot of good stuff in there. Don't, please don't steal from my van. <laughs> but we have tools in there. And she's been Christmas shopping. She's got toys in there. And so she's just like really coming apart here. And so I, we stopped and said, let's pray about this. God will protect that van, right? And I said, let's, let's, I said, Psalm 127, Psalm 127, which happens to be one of my favorite psalms. And what does it say? Psalm 127, it says, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, or shall we say a van, parked near People's Park in Berkeley, Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. See, anxiety is really a sign that we need to keep working on connecting our theology and our practice. Because if you are a Christian, you believe in God. And it's so hard to practice that. Many times we're practicing atheism because we think, no, no. God doesn't understand how bad that neighborhood is in Berkeley. <laughs> you know, we've got we to text him, God, it's a really bad neighborhood, Berkeley. Because <laughs> he didn't know that. By the way, the university is planning to buy the park with the student housing money. It could probably be a great improvement. Anyway. So, yes, yes, yes. I think there's a, a certain sense of us to look at this puzzle and say, Lord, you know, was there something magical about your spit? Or, and that's what a lot of the theologians do. They say, well, you see, there's some additional qualities in his saliva. 
And yet, okay, so then why is this a one-off event? Why does he heal remotely? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, and if he, is he doing this to show all the other people? No, he took them aside. So, it, it, you know, there's nothing there. <laughs> there's nothing there. Let's, let's just humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And uh, this is something I hold near and dear to my heart. Uh, and I, I'm not trying to be uh, whatever. Uh, I'm trying to be whatever. It, it, is it simply to show that Jesus' method is arbitrary? And I, I think there's a divine arbitrariness. God is God. And from our point of view, a lot of what he does is arbitrary. Like, whoa, I don't understand that. And, and actually, if you don't have this a part of your humble theology of understanding who God is, you're going to be driven nuts because you're, you're, we're not intended to understand everything. Uh, in fact, a great deal we're not intended to understand. And it's actually purposefully given to us to not understand. We're, we're going to get to that in a, in a minute. Well, an old, ancient uh, guy who, I think he died in 1800. His name was William Cowper. Uh, and we've changed this, but this is what he actually did say. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. William Calvin, he was a great English poet and wrote many great poems, one of which Martin Luther King Jr. loved to quote in many of his speeches. Uh, but this is, this is a true principle. I know it's kind of funny, duddy, old-fashioned words, but this is so true. We've got to humble ourselves and understand God, you're working in a mysterious way. I'm still going to be faithful. And help me to trust you. Help me to connect my highfalutin theology with how I really feel at 2 a.m. I need your help to, to connect those two things. All right. So this is what I'm saying in summary. I'm saying this is what we learned. And I, I have a few more things to say. Uh, it sounds like I'm winding up, which I am sort of, but... I have a couple more things to say. First of all, things that I, I love, you know, I love as a student of the Bible. We, we learn about the fabulous sovereignty of God. He does what he pleases. Um, here is some words that are, are on this. Our psalm today was Psalm 135, right? Uh, and there's a Psalm 115 that's very, very similar. Psalm 115, verse 3. Uh, let's look at that. 115, 3. I, I want to pull in the context around it. 115. This is a great psalm. Uh, this is Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us. But to your name, give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, why should the nation say, where is their God? Just pause there for a second. There is an articulate group of people who are asking this question all the time. And they're getting better at it. And they're, they're getting more, more forceful at it. Where, you know, where is God? There's a huge fire. A whole city is burnt. And, 
and dozens of people are killed and you believe God is sovereign? Where is your God? Well, the Bible says this, and give me a few minutes to open that up a little bit. That's a very potent question. Thank you for asking it. Uh, Where is their God? And verse 3 says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He does all that he pleases. And and the Hebrew says, whatever pleases him, as a fact, the first word is all. All that pleases him, he does. And then notice in 115, the contrast. Their idols, that's the gods they make themselves, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. Let's make a god. Have you heard this joke, right? God made man in his image, and then man returned the favor. Man decided, well, okay, I'll make God in my image. That's where the problem is. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in Yahweh. He is their help and their shield. O Aaron, trust in Yahweh. He is their help and their shield. You who fear Yahweh, trust Yahweh. See, that's what I'm saying. We fear Yahweh in our theology. Now it's saying, okay, trust me. Trust me through the difficult and the wonderful. Trust me in both ways. So that's very similar to our, our psalm today, Psalm 135. Uh, I'm not going to take the time to, uh, to make that point in any more abundance. Uh, our God is in heaven. He does all that he pleases. Here's Psalm, excuse me, Ecclesiastes 3.11. You remember this one, Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. There's a creative mystery. It's designed to befuddle us and to say, okay, God, you know what you're doing. Octopus it is. I'll accept that. Even though I was fishing for the potential for it because it's more onomatopoeic. All right, the fabulous sovereignty of God. He's he's the king who reigns. We sang the song, Jesus Christ is the king of kings. He reigns as king now. It's not like he will reign. He's reigning now. Secondly, the fantastic power of God. We see the fantastic power of God in this story. As I said, he releases his power and does as he pleases. We should pray for healing. I pray for healing constantly. Sometimes the Lord will heal people. I was at the bedside in an emo- the uh, ICU, and a young man was bleeding out. Uh, he was probably about 30-something, bleeding out from alcoholic liver disease. His liver was shot. And uh, the doctor said he only has a few minutes to live. And his, I was a hospital chaplain at the time. His mother found me 
Catholic don't pray till next Sunday. Don't go in there and pray. And the bleeding stopped. And the mother said, this is a miracle. And the doctor said, I don't know what happened. <laughs> you know, so yes, we should pray. And we don't know what the Lord is doing. He may choose to heal that way. Uh, the, the fantastic power of God. That's what we see in the story. And then we see the far-reaching grace of God. His goodness. His goodness and kindness. He's, he's kind to this guy. He's reaching out to him and healing him. So how do we respond? That's what we learn. How do we respond? I want to go to the text. First, be amazed. I was in a very responsive group this morning staring at me like I'm half crazy. Like he's in kind of half off somehow. And that actually forces me to be a little patient. So if you just be a little more responsive, I'll be a lot calmer. <laughs> they looked at him and said, you're too loud. And he laughed. <laughs> no, but this story is about responding. It's about noticing what God does and responding. The, the words I have as our, our title today obviously come from the holy text of Scripture. This is what Peter remembers. It's a gorgeous word. Verse 37, they were astonished beyond measure. These people were like, a little crazy about how good this was. And actually I heard on the radio this morning a first-hand witness of a, a U.S. military guy who was in, in Paris when this day happened a hundred years ago. And he said it was electric. And he, I can't remember the word for war. It was fine. Finay, the war is over. And he said they were shouting in the streets and lifting their hands. They were amazed and astonished. It, it happened. This horrible, horrendous war was over. And that's what Peter remembers. And people, I, I, honestly, you know, can I just bring in a little bit of weird questioning again here? He's healed the, the sick. He's raised the dead already a couple of times. This guy was deaf and had a speech impediment, right? Uh, and I'm not trying to categorize need, but it seems like death is a worse thing than being deaf. Yes, 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 so many merits. <laughs> but here's the beautiful thing this morning. However God shows his power. You know, it can be a little thing like like you didn't get in an accident, you know, God blesses you in some way. He answers prayer in some way. That's your moment to let it loose and praise God. Worship him. Worship him. And you know, this phrase in verse 37 has a rich biblical history. He has done all things well. They're, they're just nuts about Jesus. They're so thankful. They're like beyond Boston and the Red Sox. Boston goes crazy over the Red Sox. Uh, it's fun. It's fun. Sports are fun. It releases some emotion that way. But these people are releasing the emotions over Jesus Christ. <laughs> wow! It's so exciting. He's amazing. This has a rich history in the Bible. For in Genesis 1, it says this, And God saw everything that he had made. There's that octopus. I love that octopus. He saw it. And behold, 
It's life. It is life changing. Yesterday morning, I was in Chicago on a plane, and they kept the lights kept flickering. I look and go, it looks like we're having some mechanical problems. We're going to try to fix it up here. Ten minutes later, well, we couldn't fix the problem, so we decided to cancel the flight. <laughs> and you know what? On the way out, they were saying, we're sorry, sir. I said, right. Rather get off a plane and get on the one that's lights are not flickering, <laughs> yeah, and and fly home safely so I could preach this sermon to you today. I'd, I'd rather do that than the precious and that awesome, awesome, beautiful gift. Every moment is wonderful, and and let let worshipers be amazed on God. <laughs> Yom, yes, from the epic, but when it's numbered, it is literal. So, Ecclesiastes 3.11, right? Oh, we read this one today. He has made everything beautiful in its time. It may not be beautiful right now, but I think it will be. I don't understand it, but I know he does. Here is Psalm 118, 21. It says, I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. That's what he said. That's so true. Uh, I proclaim to you today that salvation is in my speaking. If you could do this, you could go to heaven and have eternal life. Life is precious here and now. It is. But you know what? Eternal life is abundantly more precious. And you can have it by faith in Jesus and not by might. Don't miss it. <laughs> you have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected. Yes. In two minutes, you can find a YouTube of somebody rejecting Jesus. Yeah, articulately and, and hilariously. And it, it's kind of entertaining. But they're just, they're rejecting the stone that the builders rejected. It, Jesus has become the cornerstone. And here's Psalm 118, verse 23. This is Yahweh's doing. It is not ours. It's God's doing. That's worship. And that's praise. That's what we should do. Be amazed. Worship. This is a sign of the Messiah, this healing of the deaf man. It's a special sign. It was one day when one of the greatest servants of Jesus was John the Baptist, his cousin, right? And, and in his service for the Lord, he was being held, as far as we can tell, in a pit down by the Dead Sea uh, in, in a hole in the ground. And he's starting to think, Jesus is running around? Who's around? 
went through miracles. I mean, it's good stuff, but like, where's the whole conquering the cosmos thing? When's that going to happen? Why am I suffering so much evil when I was supposed to usher in the deliverance from all evil? Who had some doubts? Are you the Messiah? Are you, are you the one? Are you really the one? He sent messengers out to see Jesus. And Jesus answered him. This is the, the song, Matthew. Matthew 11, excuse me. Matthew 11, 46. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And just pause there a second. There, this is direct Old Testament prophecy that this is what the Messiah would do when he comes. These are signs of the Messiah. That's why this is important. Peter wants to come see him. This guy was deaf. Jesus healed him. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. And you know what the next word is Jesus said in Matthew? This is Matthew 11, 11 6. Listen to this. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Are you offended by God's method? His apparent lack of formula? His apparent lack, the way he looks like he's arbitrary? I don't like the way you're doing things, God. So I, I'm going to deny your existence. And when the Bible says he has revealed it himself, and in, in the end, it will all be marvelous. Trust him. Where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does all have knowledge. Believe him. So Jesus says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Be of that group, not offended by Jesus. So response. I'm going to have 19 responses, so a few more minutes. <laughs> Sorry, no, only two. Be amazed. Secondly, proclaim. Proclaim. See that? One of my favorite words in the Holy Scripture, right? Uh, and I even mentioned it when I read through it. It's the Greek word is peruso. It means preach. It means they, they couldn't keep their mouth shut about who Jesus really was. Verse 36, and Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. We need to proclaim how great God is. We need to be bold enough to stand up for Christ in our day and in our age. Could you pray real quickly for us? A little, a young lady we know about, she's about 22 probably, and they're just about to, just about. She's on the student senate at Kirkland. I have two, two, two kids up there. But we've known Isabella for years on the student senate at Kirkland. And the LGBT crowd came to the student senate and said, could you please defy a definition of homosexuality that is in more line with what the Bible says. Could you please, Senate, take a significant stand uh, against this? And our dear friend Isabella, who's a Bible-believing Christian, is on the Senate at East Kirkland. And uh, she told him, listen, I, I just can't vote yes. I'm sorry, I'll, I'll abstain. And, and she, they said, why? So she told him, she said, she's very gracious. It was in the uh, San Francisco Chronicle. She said, 
I, uh, you know, I'm not against these people. I, I'm not going to hurt them. I don't want, you know, I'm not condemning their lifestyle, but I cannot vote in favor of a measure that says this is fine and dandy, etc. right? Can't look it up. Their response to her is huge. They're demanding she get thrown out of school and she resigns from the Senate. Uh, but she, she was willing in, in her own way to proclaim the, the good news, the, the truth in a very awful situation. So pray for Isabella. Let's pray right now. Father, I do lift up uh, Isabella's vow to you and ask for your kindness and grace. Protect her, Lord, from danger. Give her wisdom, Father. Give her strength. Help her to uh, navigate this thing. And I pray that it will be a kind witness, a light in a dark place. Bless all the Christians on campus who are pulling together to support her. Uh, give it to you in the name of Jesus. Help us to proclaim the matter of conscience. Amen. Thank you. The cannery agrees. <laughs> so proclaim, speak, the word and then finally be the they did you notice the they in this passage I love it verse 32 and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment and they begged him to lay hands on them you you have somebody who's in an overwhelming situation that you have no idea to fix bring them to Jesus you know bring them to Jesus Pray for them. Bring them. Tell them they need to come to Jesus and trust in Jesus. They need to cry out to Jesus. Beg for their salvation. Be the they. And also, it, it uses that word down at uh, verse 37. And they were astonished. And they worshipped Jesus. So it could be a many. Can we work on getting the wonder back? Can, can we work on boldness and proclaiming? And can we work on being the they? 